Some of us make our living playing trumpet, while others do more talking than actual playing. No matter our background or ability, we're all fascinated with this piece of plumbing that has earned its place in the pantheon of musical legend, for better or for worse. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm glad you're here. So let's get on with the show. We have with us previous guest of this Trumpet Dynamics podcast, Michael Hengst. Well, I reached out to him a couple of years ago, and this is when nobody had anything to do in like June of 2021. And so everybody, it's like everybody had a podcast. Seeing that he had nothing better to do, he said, okay, I'll be on your podcast, James. And we had a nice conversation. It went really well. And I'm going to put it on the show notes, which you can find at trumpetdynamics.com forward slash Hengst uh, 2. Hengst 2. H-E-N-G-S-T and then the number 2. Trumpetdynamics.com forward slash Hengst 2. You can find that first interview. But um, would you believe it? We got to talking. He, I think we just connected on Facebook. And Mike said, man, I, I really enjoyed being interviewed by you. And I'm always happy to, I'd, I'd be happy to be on your show again. And said, I, sure. I'm, I'm always looking for guests. And when someone just reaches out and said, I'll be a guest on your show, you, you don't say no. And now Michael is not in a place where he has nothing better to do than be on podcasts. He's very busy. And he uh, wrote a method book because that's what you do. That's that's like your business card as a trumpet player to write a method book. And uh, Mike, first of all, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again. It's, uh, it's it was a blast last time, so I'm glad we get to do it again. And tell us the name of the book. Name of the book is Odd Meter Technical Exercises for Trumpet. Right, and it's very good. Well, thank you. I went through a couple of them. And it's very challenging. When I practice for myself, I need to keep myself engaged. And so this was written in a way to try to keep my brain engaged so that I can't just zone out. And uh, after a little while, it just became like a fun little challenge to, okay, how can I, you know, trick myself even more? How can I keep myself more on my toes? And uh, I mean, still to this day, I, you know, there's some that are just still make me trip a little bit, um, just rhythmically and and with wherever it goes, um, whether it's in a diminished exercise or whole tone or things like that. So is this a book for sale, like on Amazon or it, it's for sale uh, via ensembleblock.com. Oh, okay. It's a friend of mine's website and there's going to be a video series that goes along with it. I'm still working on recording all that, but that'll, that'll be up hopefully sooner than later. But, uh, that's been a, a slow going process for me to to try to record videos um, to sort of explain each exercise, give a bunch of different variations, um, you know, explain what I'm thinking uh, while I why I wrote it the way that I wrote it, things like that. Do you uh, do you find yourself getting apathetic doing standard exercises like Clark and Arb and stuff like that? Not really, but I I wouldn't say I find myself getting bored, but I find myself in the second clock exercise thinking about you know what i have to do later today what uh thinking about what baseball games are later today uh what time do the phillies play later today you know things like that just my mind starts to wander it's not necessarily a boredom thing it's just a you know i'm not, not in the moment cuz when i play like if i'm going to play some long tones or some just exercises i'll just have something on youtube playing and i'm i'm getting my work done for the day and i'm also kind of in, engaging my mind a little bit but it sounds like this is engaging your mind while you're doing the 
the exercises. Yeah, that's what I that's what I try to do. Um, I work best on these kind of things in a distraction free environment, uh, which is obviously not easy to do uh, because I am easily distracted uh, by just like anybody by text messages, social media, um, you know, a- anything uh, can is 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 easy for me to get sidetracked from from my my goal of what I was doing. Well, it keeps you engaged. It keeps the mind humming. While you're playing, the lips buzzing and the mind humming. <laughs> there you go. I like there that. There you go. I'm gonna. <laughs> that's the name of this podcast: lips buzzing, mind humming. Perfect. Perfect. I like it. And that that's all we need for the interview. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Great <a> contribution. <laughs> <laughs> now you, I, I think you and I spoke. Probably it was probably. I know it was like in the heat of the pandemic. Were you guys in school at the time, or what? What did life look like back at the time? We took off in March of 2020, like everybody else. And in May of 2020, they said, we're virtual all next year. They had made the decision in May, which that was everybody's reaction, which was like, oh, ended up being the right decision um, based on what was going on in Colorado at the time. And uh, I was allowed at some point when things started to relax a little bit to run a trumpet ensemble. And so we were, we had, you know, the largest room in our building and had one person in basically every corner of the room, uh, you know, 20, 25 feet apart. And, 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 but it was, it was something. And so that was, that was really fantastic. And, and and it sort of kind of continued, you know, since then with, uh, with, with the ensemble. Now we're not, we're we're able to get next to each other, but, uh, but yeah, so it was, you know, I, I was like everybody else. I didn't have any gigs. I was teaching virtually, um, spent a lot of time at home and, uh, but, but yeah, I, I want to say that I practiced more, but it, it was probably about the same as what I always do um, and what I always have done. So, if ever you needed a time to keep the mind humming, yeah. But it's funny this didn't come about for another year after that. I was on sabbatical last last spring. It was never my intention to write this. It just sort of accidentally happened. So I th- this whole thing started with um, Clark two. Uh, I had started Mike Mike which one is that is that the da 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 that's correct that one okay uh, the, the second study because my students would fall off of the third note ba da 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 kind of that I was like hey just add an extra eighth note to that and it ended up being a five eight oh okay and so I like to when I practice put a flow study and an articulation study back to back because sometimes it takes my articulation a little while to get going and I know that I can do Clark two with good air, good sound, good breathing, good flow. And so if I do, you know, an articulated study after that, I'm already going to be theoretically in that flow and have everything working the same way. So what I like to do is do Clark two and then one of the Chris Gecker articulation studies. I know you just had him on. I listened to that one earlier this week. Um, and uh, and so that I was, was you. one of his articulation studies with the Clark study. So then when I switched, you know, my Clark study to 5.8 and I put my metronome on 5.8, well, I was too lazy to switch my metronome back to 4.4. So I took that Gecker articulation exercise and I made that go to 5.8. Then I realized that I was doing stamp studies in this like 5.8 to extend so that I don't, so that I don't, you know, sort of give up the air to go down so that it, it, it you know, makes you keep your air engaged and moving until the point where you descend. Um, rather than it's, it's really easy to, to just sort of let go and back off as you go down to the note that you started from. 
Um, and that's the same thing sort of with Clark. And then I was like, huh, I have all these <laughs> exercises. And uh, and I thought maybe maybe there's something here. Then it was just like playing around a little bit. Uh, last summer, about this time last year, I went out to Bulgaria and uh, did some master classes in playing out there um, at the big arts university in Plovdiv, Bulgaria. And I just wasn't quite centering that bottom F. And so I was just like, FC, 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 until I could, you know, just to feel it out, feel where I wanted to go. Then I was like, wait a second, that doesn't feel good. And so I put it into mixed meter, put it in the seven, eight um, with all three different iterations of seven, eight. And, uh, and that really kept my brain locked on. And then to, to get every note to center and slot exactly where I wanted it to in this odd feeling where it keeps switching. I just love that. You know, I brought it to some of my students and they seem to really take to that. And that's when I was like, okay, I might have something here. And then, you know, figuring out ways to, to keep pushing that envelope, if that makes sense. Yes. So you have this concept of the, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And also you, you see your students who are, uh, I, I don't know if laziness is the right word, but they're, they're just being a little bit slack in, in this one portion of the Clark number two. And then you had the situation where you just didn't feel like changing your metronome back to four, four. <laughs> exactly. So basically this whole book is based on laziness is what you're saying. Almost. It was accidental laziness. Yeah. Uh, where, where's that? You know, creativity because my metronome, because I had it going through a Bluetooth speaker and my phone was on the other side of the room and I didn't feel like getting up. Well, I also had some foot issues in the way and that might've helped it too. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's more or less. And then it was, Again, pushing the envelope. So then um, iteration of, because I think that's, I know you're not supposed to have favorite children, but that's probably my favorite exercise in the book is the what I call the precision drills. Um, and then adding triple tonguing to it. Um, and then extending the range downward. Um, things like that to just try to, when you think you've got it, then, you know, vary it and, and complicate it a little bit. Um, so it's almost like a, it's not necessarily a, a tiered system, but it's like, you know, when you think you have the first one, then you go to either the second one or the multiple articulation version of the first one. Um, and then uh, I, I sent it out to some some friends to to take a look at. And uh, my friend and colleague Shane Ensley, who's a jazz trumpet player of note uh, with the group Kneebody, um, he said, "Yeah, this is really great." He said, "You know, you know what I always had a hard time with was uh, was counting. You know, like rests. You know, when rests would pop up. So, so there was I didn't love the how I initially wrote the third multiple articulation precision drills. And that's when I realized, okay, I'm going to add rest to it. And so when I, uh, when I put the book out at the Texas music educators association conference, um, I was at the booth with the guys from ensemble block, which are mostly percussionists. And I had them reading it. And, and I think that was like one of the most um, satisfying moments was when the drummers, nobody could just like read it right away. You know, it, it took them a second to look over it and realize what it was before, but it wasn't impossible by any means. Um, and so, so it was like, okay, if I can keep snare drummers engaged, you know, to, to, to keep their brain into it with rhythm, then, then maybe I'm onto something here. So this, uh, I'm looking at a precision drill. I, it looks, I guess it's the number, no, first one. And it's the, uh, F to C to F. So it's in seven, eight, you got three quarter notes and then a eighth note. So there's your seven, eight, but then it goes rather than going down, which a lot of these do, it goes up chromatically. When I lock onto a pattern, I'm not going to get the most out of it. And so some some um, exercises go ascend chromatically, some descend chromatically, some go circle of fourth, some go um, sort of in the, you know, starting on an F and going 
up a half step, down a half step, up a major second from F, down a major second. You know, just different ways to to approach things. I'm not sure. I I, I maybe I started with that one because um because that was that that was the ah, that were were those were the specific notes of the Gregson lick inspired this exercise. It's it, I I also have it written out to go down. You know, so that it goes from F down to G going down to low G. Um, I realized that's something that the, the range to all of these exercises can be challenging. And so I started writing it out in a more intermediate range or a more manageable range um, to still get the same benefits. And, I, you know, going into the low range with this makes it gives it just a whole new set of challenges. Too. So that was kind of fun. It was, it was uh, like what Chris Gecker said in your in your. Um, interview with him about playing low and you know that that requires the most difficulty and flexibility and then you know doing these to hit a low g and still be able to keep coming back up but i sort of hit that in the third if you go ahead two pages there the third um level sort of goes down two octaves instead of just one can you remember when playing two octaves was became easy for you and not not easy but what i mean what i'm talking about is there was a time in my playing where it would be like i'd have two separate embouchures if i'm and if i'm going from like a low g to maybe above a g on top of the staff it was it was though i was switching embouchures the higher i went i don't know if that makes any sense to you but i I eventually got to a point where it's the same thing it was the use of air for me yeah i feel like somewhere in my my junior and senior um years of college that those things really clicked um i remember that's when i really started doing a lot of arpeggio exercises because I was starting to play more challenging music that had rapid ascensions from low to high or high to low. And I needed to do something to practice that aspect of playing. You know, my daily Clark studies were great, but I needed to come up with something. And 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 uh, through this process, I realized that this is something I've always done is just sort of created exercises for myself, mm-hmm. whether I wrote them down or not. And in this case, it was just playing a two octave C arpeggio uh, going to the F inverted. So C, G, C. C E G C E G C and then C F A C and then uh C again. So just playing three two octave arpeggios, two C major, one F major, um, all centered on C. Um, and then doing that chromatically all the way down to low F sharp. And um that really helped just start to make some of these, you know, quick ascending lines not as or more manageable. I wouldn't say easy, I wouldn't say uh less hard, but more manageable. I was really intrigued by what you said about going to Bulgaria. Oh, okay. And you were a featured soloist with an orchestra there? No, it was a, uh, so the Arts Academy in Plovdiv had me out to do, oh, it was a three or four days of master classes, uh, lessons, coachings. And then on the last day, all the students that were at the Academy played on a recital that I also, and it was, it was a blast. It was such a, such an amazing experience. I'm hoping to get back again next year. Um, we'll see if my performing schedule will allow that, but, but yeah, the, such a, 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 a fantastic place. And the, and the teacher there, Pencho Penchev, uh, is just legendary. Basically everybody and everything in, in that area of Europe goes through, goes through Pencho. And, uh, you know, he gets called, to, do you have a student that would be good for this orchestra in this part of the, of Europe and, and things like that. And just a spectacular person. And I, I just. I, I I loved my visit there and the students were just spectacular. Um, some of them were playing different high level repertoire every day. 
Um, I got to hear some students three times. Actually, I heard just about all of them two or three times. And they ranged in age from probably 12 to 22. And, and the, I mean, they could all play. They could all really play. And wow. it, was, it was such an incredible experience. And they were so gracious and welcoming and helpful. Um, and it was, just, it was just so great to, to be in that part of the country. How did you hear about this? And how, did, how is it that you got this gig? Um, our horn professor at MSU Denver, his name's Kolio Plachkov. He's a, the third horn in the Colorado Symphony as well. Um, he went to that academy and and we had just talked about it. And he said, "Oh, I should I should get you in touch with with Pencho." And then it just it just worked out. I, we were actually supposed to go, of course, in summer of 2020, but uh, of course, <laughs> that yeah. didn't work. Or maybe 21, it doesn't matter, but it, it got pushed and pushed and pushed. And so um, we were finally able to do it last year. And it was it was something that I, I hope I get to do again at some point. They were they were amazing out there. And and just their, I don't know if it was the school structure was different where, um, you know, they were almost in lessons multiple times a week. It was just, you know, music school. And that was, you know, their main focus from that really young age was the theory and the uh, ear training, history, all mm-hmm. that stuff. They were they were way ahead of you know the average high school student here. These are high school kids. I, I guess some of them were twelve years old. Uh, really? Yeah, and and some were you know about to graduate and 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 looking at maybe go to grad school in the U.S. But yeah, just spectacular players. How how do those students their work ethic, their just their overall demeanor compare to students in the U.S.? My my first inclination is to just say that they're different. When they're growing up and put into music theory right away, it's not as much of a chore. It's not as much of a of a when when, when that's as much of your coursework as like English and math. Um, I think that just is a different culture set. That that's that's what I what I gather is like they just start so much earlier out there that uh, with with not just the playing, but excuse me, all parts of of music education at that younger age. Uh, rather than just you know when you get forty five minutes in band class in middle school and maybe maybe you take private lessons on the outside, um, but being in a music curriculum at an early age, almost a conservatory style curriculum um, at an early age, I think is just a different upbringing. Are these kids being groomed to be orchestral musicians? You know, I I can't say for sure, uh, but they definitely have had a lot of orchestral experience by that time, but. They also had a great um, handle on on different levels of solo rep, and I heard a lot of really interesting chamber music as well. I I, I wish I could remember one of the trios that they played. I haven't heard. I, I may have heard of the Gregson Concerto, but I don't know really the first thing about it. I'd love to know a little bit about it and why it, it's special to you that you wanted to play it at this event. I started doing you know the national trumpet competition every year. I started when I was a junior and. Uh, you know, by the time I got to a senior, I was, I was, I, I'd been twice and competed once. And, you know, I was like, well, it'd be really cool if I made the finals. That was like my whole goal. And I never did. And then I started grad school and I played the Tomasi my first year. And, uh, and I thought I played that really well and still didn't make the finals. And I was like, what is it going to take? So then the next year I played the Shane's concerto and boy, I could not have played any worse. I don't think. And to make matters worse, I, uh, you know, it said, 
that I was only playing the first movement and I, I had the first two prepared. I'd gotten accepted on the first two. So I made sure that the person announced that I was playing the first two. Well, when it was, when I played horribly after the first one, I was like, man, I really wish I didn't have to play the second movement right now. <laughs> uh, but then I did and it, it, it didn't go well. I was at a low point of my playing. And then um, the next year um, I was feeling good again. I really got into the Gregson, the first movement of the Gregson concerto. You know, I studied that and played it and made up a bunch of exercises. And in this case, uh, the main theme of this is a descending fourth ascending major second. So bah, bah, bah. Uh, major seventh, excuse me, not major second. So descending fourth major seventh. And I think that, and I, I started just doing it in every key. And then I realized that I think eight or nine of those, I was playing it literally starting on every note, eight or nine of them appeared exactly like that in the movement. You know, I really worked that up and got to the trumpet competition, played the the preliminary round. I thought it was pretty sloppy. My friends, you know, said it was fantastic. And then, yeah, I made the finals, ended up coming in third place. And so, I, I mean, I, I always loved the piece for the first time I heard it. And actually, the very first time I heard it, a, a good friend of mine in undergrad was playing it. Happened to be on my trumpet teacher stand. And uh, you might need a bleep here. Um, but, uh, but he said, he said uh, can you read this? And I, I sight read it. And he said, wow. I was feeling all right. And it was probably my second or third lesson. He said, you must prepare stuff really well because you can't sight read worth shit is what, is what he told me in that lesson. And uh, so I remembered it from that too. Um, Edward Antonson's recording and it's with orchestra. And I never heard an orchestra accompaniment like this. And and it's like strings and, and percussion, I believe. And it's just stunning. Uh, the, it starts with the opening theme and just the timpani and, and, uh, it's just a really cool accompaniment. I just really like the piece. Um, I got to play the first movement with our orchestra at MSU Denver. That was probably 10 years ago now. And it's just a piece that I really like. And I think it presents my style playing well. It's interesting to listen to. It's it's different from, you know, pretty much most of the other pieces. And so um, I, have a, I have a recording of it on YouTube. I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Please. Um, Throw that with, with what, everything. What was the name of this concerto? I, I missed it. The the second one, um, the second one that didn't go well for you. Uh, Shane's concerto, C H A Y N E S. I'm sure, I'm not pronouncing that in its proper French dictation, but yeah, we're not French. It's okay. <laughs> that's right. Thank you. That's that's how Americans pronounce it. Um, you see that one, I I I I never loved as much. It was it was a technical challenge, but um, I I just didn't love that as much as I loved. You know, some of the other pieces that I brought there, I played it because it was hard and I made it sound hard. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you had, if you had your uh, technical exercises, that would have made the difference. I, I Sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. How strongly do you believe that you need to feel like connected to the music in order to perform it well? Um, I think I've played some things pretty well that I didn't feel especially connected to, such as some of the band pieces I played before, the ones I can think of are John Corleone's Third Symphony. I was on the premiere of that at the University of Texas, and then we toured with it a couple of summers. Never really loved the piece, but um, I think we did a pretty darn good job of it. Um, I guess the, the the solo pieces that I've never liked, I've never really tried to take on either. Such as? Uh, the Ketting Entrada is my least favorite uh, solo trumpet. I don't know why that piece is always graded on me. Uh, Peter Maxwell Davies is another one. I've, I've always wanted to like it because I know it's regarded as one of the most difficult pieces and, and those kind of things usually draw me, but I just can't do it. I, not that I can't do it, but I just, I don't like it enough to put in the work that's needed to play it well. That makes perfect sense. Like the, the Jolivet Concertino is completely the opposite. I love that piece. 
And, um, and I wanted to put in that kind of work to play it really well and was happy to do it, was happy to, 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 to figure out all the things I needed to figure out in order to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But some pieces I just never got to that point with. When was this uh, NTC experience? I started going in 1999 and uh, the year that I made the finals was 2005 with the Gregson. 2005, you you performed the Gregson at NTC. Uh And then last year you performed the same piece, completely different circumstances and maybe a different set of reasons as to why you would choose the Gregson. What is different about how you choose your repertoire that you're going to perform now here in 23 versus when you're younger? Because when you and the reason I'm asking this is because when you're younger, you're more ego driven. You want to impress the people. You want to impress the girls. And, and you just you're like, look how high, fast and loud I can play. And then the older you get and the more experience you get under your belt with life in general, the less that is important to you. Let me ask this. What are what are your priorities when you're selecting something now versus 20 years ago? Well, first, it's got to be something that I like. That's that's a definite one. Um, something that's going to give me a little bit of a challenge and something that I know that I'm going to present well. Those are going to be different circumstances. I've been working with um, a pianist in town who's mainly a jazz pianist. And she's been helping me with you know some of my jazz stuff that I've been trying to learn a little bit. Um, that I've been trying to work on a little bit. And she said, Hey, can you give me some, some classical rep? And so I, I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to play the Telemann, um, but I've never, I've never been able to find a good place for it because it's demanding and playing it on a recital seems like a daunting task. Cause you know, um, that would take the, the bulk of my, to be able to do that efficiently, to be able to play a bunch of other things. But, but if we just ever, you know, perform this stuff together, like that's a perfect situation where, you know, she can learn that I can play just that. And then maybe we do, you know, one or two other things. And then she does some other stuff. Um, so that's one thing is like, I think more about the situations now that I will perform in than I did when I was younger. Um, before it was like, okay, I like this piece, this piece, this piece, and this piece. And I think I can do them all at the same time. Um, whereas now it's, it's, it's okay. What am I doing? What am I doing it for? Who am I performing with full recitals and a half a recital? Are we going to do things other things in the recital. So, Joe LeVay plays Michael Hengst, and the uh, the Shane's concerto does not. Can you see a situation where you would ever perform that again, given your experience with it? The Shane's. You know what? I've always thought about doing a recital of pieces that, and I don't hate it. I, I want to say I don't hate it. I don't love it, though. I, I don't feel a huge connection to it. I don't love it. But I've thought always thought about doing a recital of pieces that I've previously played on a recital that I didn't like how it went. And so Shane's will be on there. Um, so things like that. I, I, I've always thought about it. I keep coming back to it. That, that, the, the Michael name, Hankst redemption tour. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. A, a, a pieces that I just, you know, I still have a bad taste in my mouth from how the performance went the first time. And yeah, something like that. Second chances. The great redemption tour of 2024 coming to a city <laughs> near you. All right. Let's say that you're going to do this, this program of, okay. of, of uh, stuff that, in the past hasn't historically gone well for you. What would you add to the rep in addition to this? The Francais Sonatine, because in the th- when I played it the first time, the third movement, I couldn't breathe. And uh, I realized I had some work to do on breathing quickly a few days after that um, because it didn't go well. There was spots where I just needed to stop. And, like, <laughs> and I was like, I was supposed to be playing at that point. And, and then, you know, when I looked at it a few days later, I played a cornet solo afterwards. I was beating myself up thinking that I ran out of trust. And I was like, wait a second, I played a cornet solo. And it ended on a 
on a four bar E flat that came out, like it wasn't a chop issue. Then I realized it was like, since that particular movement is mostly uh, fragments, that something in my quick breathing just wasn't efficient and wasn't able to sustain me through the whole piece. I think there's a two bar rest and everything else is like an eighth rest here, a 16th rest here, but never more than like two bars at a time. And so it was just like <laughs> where I just, you know, got myself stuck and locked up. It seems like the kind of piece where you're, you're, you're taking too much breath. You have too much air in the pipes. Yes. And then tight breaths in those huh. little chances that I did get to take them. Yeah. That's another part of breath control that we're not taught. And so that, yeah, I figured that out the hard way uh <laughs> that, that, and where, where what's what was the setting where you performed this I performed it on a recital i can't remember the other pieces i remember that and then the cornet solo afterwards which cornet solo it was grand russian fantasia and again okay. i think that one actually went fairly i don't have any bad recollection of that i just the and it's just just what came before it i can show you the spot at the university of texas that i was standing when i realized that that yeah i i just wasn't breathing quickly and that just ruined you know all my possibility of being able to, to to play through that so all right so we've got uh shane's francais it seems like this french stuff isn't working out for you <laughs> some of it does <laughs> I, I i do an okay tomasi and okay jolivet and uh, okay but yeah some of them just i, I don't know what, what's another one that you would add to this there was list? a torelli uh, one of the torelli maybe it was g1 uh might might be on there as well i just i remember not having a good feeling about that I'm sure I have a recording of it somewhere. And every time I, I recount this for, a, you know, these stories for a student, I go back and, 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 and play it for, I'm like, okay, it's not as bad as I remember it, but it's still, you know, the, the feeling of discomfort, you know, just as bad as anything else. So every time I do one of these interviews, like I'm, I, I never went to school for music. And so this podcast has been in some ways, my own education in, in the realm of trumpet. And I've learned all kinds of things. Wouldn't you know it speaking to a professor of trumpet, you would hope to learn something. But I, I, let, let's just close out a little bit of what is on your plate, maybe the next year, two years. What do you have going on? Well, right now I'm enjoying summer. I got married in September. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And well, everybody said to me, you know, around January, so how's it, how's it, what's it like being married? And I was like, well, we got married on Labor Day weekend and I've played a, a 120 services since then. And so it's, <laughs> we haven't really seen each other much. Um, so I've, I've done a lot of musicals, um, at one of our big regional theaters out here and, uh, I have another run coming up for the holidays and maybe another one, um, uh, as well. So I have a couple of musicals coming up. I want to get sort of these intermediate exercises done, um, so that, you know, it's more accessible to younger players and is a good introduction to playing in all the different, um, mixed meters or odd meters, not mixed meter playing in the different odd, odd meters and being introduced to things like diminished arpeggios and um, whole tone exercises, double tonguing, triple tonguing, things that I wish that I had studied before, you know, years earlier. I wish I uh, turned to those Arbin um, articulations or excuse me, um, Arbin dominant diminished seven um, exercises. Um, Cause those, those have been really helpful to me as I, you know, did study all this French music and, and things like that. And then getting the videos off the ground and, you know, figuring out, you know, the, how to, how to get people to subscribe to that and and that kind of stuff. That's, that's probably the next year is, is getting all that under control and getting into a, getting in a good groove with 
recording videos. Um, it's it's that's been a little bit of a struggle for me between figuring out the configurations and then you know having basement studio flood and <laughs> things like that. So <laughs> so playing, um, you know, I have my students. We're we're gonna. I should have ten or twelve in my studio next year, and um, you know, figuring out if if what kind of chamber groups they want to do and then how we can best um best configure that and and those kind of things let's see other things that i want to get done in the next year or two uh hopefully there'll be a return trip to bulgaria they have a competition over there i'm waiting to get the dates they've invited me to be the u.s judge on their panel but i don't know if that'll work out with the uh with the shows that i i do and that's you know part of the balance too is is balancing work and and professional and family and uh i don't know how i'm doing but i'm you know <laughs> just keep trying to change the balance around a little bit and uh and make it work the previous show that i played was um musical damn yankees and um the music director added some improvisatory spots for the trumpet and just something i just never did it's you know it, it didn't come to me right away and I was always putting my time in the trumpet technique and I never did the things that, you know, all the teachers tell you to do um, because I prioritized other things. And so working on that this year has been a lot of fun and it is starting to come to me a little bit. And I am able to have the time to listen more to, you know, play the chord changes on the piano, even though I am the world's worst piano player, do things like that. So I want to do more of that. I might even do one of our school jazz combos with the other students next year. Um, just to just to work on it and and learn how to work on it um, because I'm how old am I I'm you know 20 23 25 years out of school and uh, and so maybe it's time to go back and, and and learn some of that stuff too and 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 just get better at that to the point where I feel comfortable taking a solo if I'm playing with a band or playing in a brass quintet or something like that thinking about our interview from two years ago I remember the one thing that stuck out to me was you were just content. You have a job, and it's a good job, at a small school in Denver. It's not a well-known school, and a lot of people would say, well, you know, that this is like a stepping stone to something greater. But I, I didn't get that sense from you. I just thought, this guy is completely content with where he is. And uh, I, I got the same vibe from you in this. And, you know, look at look at how it's worked out. Going over to Bulgaria to be the featured uh, judge and the featured performer. So things are working out. Yeah, even though, absolutely. Um, even though you're not teaching at Juilliard, <laughs> you, you still get to do things that are, you know, productive and musical. Yeah, and fulfilling. Yeah, I still have that sense. And, uh, you know, you never want to say never. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, if we talk in three years and and my life is upturned somehow, uh, you, you know, I... But but I I do feel that way. I'm I'm grateful for my job, my students, my colleagues, um, and my opportunities that I have in and around Denver, and for being in the city, the opportunities it provides me, you know, recreationally. Well, that means something different since it's in Colorado. Uh, but like you know, yeah. with with uh, <laughs> with with sports, with museums, with um, performing on performing ensembles um the orchestras the theaters the you know all of those kind of things is what i meant um i'm not so much the outdoorsy person that takes advantage of that kind of stuff but um but yeah i'm 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 incredibly grateful for this opportunity and for um the job that i have and and the flexibility it allows me and 
the people that I get to work with and the students that I get to work with every day. Well, that is a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit TrumpetDynamics.com to learn how you can be notified each time a new episode is published. And if you really like what you hear on this podcast, the best way to support me and the show is to subscribe to my daily email newsletter, where I share what I learn and observe in life in an infotaining way. Many folks have told me they enjoy the emails, and I think you will too. Again, the best way to subscribe to the email newsletter is to visit TrumpetDynamics.com. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll be in your earballs soon. Music